Hey bubs, welcome back to another extraordinary episode of Talkin' Snicked, the best podcast there is at what it does, and what it does best is talk about Wolverine. I am your host Ryan, and today's episode is a special one. Today's episode is the first of a new month, and it is the first with a new theme. In the month of March, we covered Weapon X from top to bottom. We covered two great comic book stories that dealt with Wolverine's past dealings with Weapon X Project, as well as a few other aspects of Weapon X. This month, we are discussing Japan. And starting with today's episode, we are diving right back into comics. Now, we've covered two stories already in the comic books that have dealt with Japan. One of them is Wolverine Volume 1, issues 1 through 4. It was a four-issue limited edition miniseries by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. By many, it is considered to be the greatest Wolverine story that's been written yet, and I would probably agree with that uh, to an extent. I think... To discover Wolverine's best story, you would get a coin and write Wolverine Volume 1 on one side and write Weapon X on the other, and no matter how that coin lands, that's going to be the greatest Wolverine story ever told. That's how good those two stories were. And in the early 80s, Chris Claremont actually wrote a follow-up story to Wolverine Volume 1 that was in the pages of Uncanny X-Men, and today we are covering Uncanny X-Men Volume 1, Issues 172 and 173. And after we figure, or excuse me, after we finish those uh, issues, we are going to jump in and cover Wolverine Volume 2, Issues 56 and 57 from Larry Hama and Mark Silvestri. Now, the interesting thing about Uncanny X-Men numbers 172 and 173 is this story picks up right where Wolverine Volume 1 left off. If you're unfamiliar with that, I recommend that you read it before listening to this podcast because there will be spoilers. Uh, If you don't have the time and you want to know what the story is, you can always listen to Talkin' Snicked Episode 1 where I covered Wolverine Volume 1 in greater detail Uh, but seriously if you're listening to a wolverine podcast and you have not read wolverine one through four then you should probably get on that because like i said it's one of two stories that can easily be considered the best wolverine story of all time the thing with wolverine volume one is It was published from September to December of 1982. And while it was being published, Wolverine was appearing in the pages of Uncanny X-Men as the Brood Saga was well underway. So even though Wolverine Volume 1 came out at the end of 1982... 
We don't get the follow-up to that until 172 and 173 are published, which isn't until August and September of 1983. So Chris Claremont had to wait for the Brood Saga to come to an end before he was able to move Wolverine out of the books long enough to allow the events of Wolverine Volume 1 to take place before bringing the X-Men there and continuing that story. Uh, it's kind of an interesting way to go about things. You know, usually you just have a miniseries come in and say, oh, by the way, you know, this took places between, you know, issues X and Y, and now we're going to finish that story. But instead, Chris Claremont brings the X-Men back to Earth after the Brood Saga, and the very next issue, he sends Wolverine away and Wolverine is seen leaving the X-Men mansion this is in the pages of Uncanny X-Men 168 so a couple issues before the events of 172 and 173 occur and the last time we see Logan he is heading to the airport to fly back to northwestern Canada which is perfect because that is where he is when Wolverine volume one begins and Wolverine volume one has to deal with Wolverine's ties to the Lady Mariko and her position within Clan Yoshida. She has to deal with her father, Lord Shingen, and Wolverine makes some new friends and loses some old friends. It is a fantastic story. It's great. The artwork by Frank Miller is on point, and of course the writing from Chris Claremont at that time was always fantastic. At the end of it, Wolverine and Lady Mariko begin an engagement and he sends a wedding invitation back to the X-Men. And that is how Uncanny X-Men number 172 begins. The X-Men have received this wedding invitation from Logan and they decide that they are going to take him up on it and they are going to head to Japan so that they can witness this wedding between their good friend and teammate and his beloved Lady Mariko. Now, the X-Men that head to Japan are a little different than the X-Men that uh, Wolverine left. In the time that Wolverine leaves, Cyclops also has gone off on his own to do some of his own soul-searching, and while he's gone... Storm has taken control of the X-Men. She's now the leader of the X-Men. We still have Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Kitty Pride, But we've also had Rogue, former villain Rogue, join the team. And Wolverine does not know this yet. So this story itself involves the X-Men going to Japan for the wedding of the Lady Mariko and Logan. However, Silver Samurai who is revealed to be Mariko's half-brother, and his cohort Viper make a move to wrest control of Clan Yoshida from Lady Mariko. Storm befriends the assassin or the mercenary known as Yukio and goes through a transformation of identity and Rogue finally earns the respect of Wolverine and therefore the rest of the X-Men when she assists Wolverine 
in his mission. So it's an important Wolverine story. It follows up Wolverine Volume 1, but it also brings about a couple things that will affect the X-Men for years to come. One of those, of course, is Storm's transformation from African weather goddess to kind of early 80s punk Storm. This is where we see her become what's affectionately referred to as Mohawk Storm, which is the you know black leather wearing, Mohawk wearing leader of the X-Men that we expect from this era. As well as it's the beginning of the friendship between Rogue and Wolverine, which is a friendship that we see continue on and becomes rather influential in the cartoon and in the live-action movie series. Uh, so it's it's fun to see the beginnings of that in the pages of the comic. So the story is rather simple. Uh, I really enjoyed it. This was after the Claremont and Byrne era has come to an end. So Uncanny X-Men 172 and 173, like I had mentioned, August and September of 1983, written by Chris Claremont, excuse me, Chris Claremont, with pencils from Paul Smith. And Paul Smith, to me, is an unheralded hero of X-Men. His stuff that he did in the early 80s especially, but his entire run on X-Men, I feel, is underlined by a simplistic ease with which he draws action and expression. Uh, we had inks from Bob Vicek, colors from Glennis Ween, who I've referred to in the podcast before as Glennis Oliver, and letters from Tom Orzachowski. So a couple of those names you should recognize as they are longtime mainstays on the X books. It's a fun story. Uh, we get to see a little bit of Nightcrawler. We get to see a little bit of Colossus. We get to see a little bit of Kitty. But the story mostly focuses on Wolverine and Lady Mariko, as well as Storm and Yukio, and then Rogue. I'm not going to take you guys through the comic page by page or panel by panel, but more I do want to discuss the story scene by scene. But I want to point out the cover of number 172. It's a lot of fun. If you've read Wolverine Volume 1, you see at the end of that the invitation, which is a picture of Wolverine dressed as a samurai with his betrothed, Lady Mariko, and it's the wedding invitation. The cover of Uncanny 172 is that same image, only this time there is a samurai sword that's shoved right through the Wolverine part of the photograph, so right through the chest of Wolverine. So that's that's fun. Uh, just a cool cover. I like the imagery. It's you know real simple. It's a throwback, obviously, to uh, Wolverine Volume 1 uh, with the added addition. That was redundant of the sword here. So like I mentioned, it starts off with the X-Men arriving in Japan. Now, most of them, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Storm, know Lady Mariko from their time in Japan much earlier, uh, the same time that Wolverine had met her. So she's familiar with some of them. And 
she's actually the first one to notice Rogue, who's standing in the doorway, afraid to enter the room. And I just really love the artwork here from Paul Smith, where we have actually a two-page spread where we see Wolverine greeting Nightcrawler, and then we see Lockheed and Kitty, and we have a, like a long panel that's almost as, as tall as the page on one side, and it's you know Lady Mariko, and she's wearing her blue robes, uh, and she's standing there in not necessarily a timid position, but more of like a welcoming position. And the very next page is the exact opposite, where we see Rogue standing the d- in the doorway, looking pensive, and you know Wolverine has some unflattering things to say about her, and we kind of see the other X Men react to the fact that you know rogue's still an outsider on this team on a team of outcasts and misfits rogue herself is the outcast and misfit and it's interesting to see how at the beginning here wolverine is not afraid to hide his feelings about rogue being there for those of you who are unfamiliar with rogue she is a mutant who is able to absorb superpowers and memories through skin-to-skin contact, and in her early days, she was a villain working with the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, and while with the team, she was forced to permanently steal the powers of Miss Marvel, uh, Captain Marvel now, Carol Danvers, and of course, Wolverine's time as a spy and his time in the CIA and everything, he was friends with Carol Danvers. So Wolverine kind of takes what Rogue did to her a little personally. But of course, Lady Mariko, the woman of honor and the gracious host uh, that she is, welcomes Rogue into the quarters. And Rogue, of course, says thank you. Now, as this is going on, we see outside someone has been spying on Wolverine and Mariko. And it's clear from the silhouette that it's the Silver Samurai. And behind Silver Samurai is someone who's been spying on him, and that is Yukio, who, if you remember, was a big help to the Volume 1 with uh, helping save Mariko's life and allowing Wolverine and Lady Mariko to defeat Lord Shingen. And ever since then, she's been kind of keeping tabs on the happy couple. So she sees a silver silver samurai spying on Wolverine and Mariko, and she attacks him. Naturally, Wolverine's heightened senses allow him to hear what's going on, and Wolverine and Nightcrawler soon join the fight. Uh, but Silver Samurai is able to escape, as is Yukio with the help from Storm. Now, after that, Yukio goes off on her own to do her own thing, but not after making an indelible mark on Storm. Uh, Storm, at this point in the comics, is actually going through something of an identity crisis. She has spent a long time away from the planet Earth and has kind of realized that, you know, with her mutant powers being tied so closely to Earth's weather patterns, she's always felt a closeness to the planet. But having gone off into space, she kind of realizes that she doesn't have an identity outside of that, and that becomes a crisis. And so she tries to discover, you know, outside of her mutant powers, who is Aurora Monroe? Who is Storm? And uh, meeting someone as free-spirited 
as Yukio, it definitely leaves a mark on Storm. And so back at uh, the mansion between, or I guess the uh, the ancestral home of Clan Yoshida, we see the X-Men spending time with Lady Mariko, who has excused herself from the festivities to retire to uh, an area of the home where she's able to meditate. And apart from all the other X-Men, she is accosted by Viper. Viper is a master of disguise. She is someone who has ties to both the Hand and Hydra. As of right now, she's working kind of as a freelance with Silver Samurai, and their mission at this point is to uh, take over Clan Yoshida. But she realizes that with the X-Men there, uh, they should probably always beat Silver Samurai and prevent him from doing what he needs to do. So she has snuck in. She has uh, rendered Mariko unconscious, and she you know, puts on Mariko's robes and a wig and everything so that she looks like Mariko, and then she serves the X-Men some tea. And Wolverine drinks some, realizes that it's poisoned, and tries to warn the other X-Men who are already all passed out with the exception of Storm, who actually hasn't uh, drank in any yet. So Wolverine is able to at least warn Storm, and she's able to avoid being poisoned. Now Lady Mariko, in the meantime, had been summoned to a meeting, you know, one of those clandestine midnight meetings between herself and uh, Kenny Uchio, who is the Silver Samurai. He's also known as Harada. So she goes to meet up with him. However, she's intercepted by Yukio and Storm, and they devise a plan where they're going to send Yukio in disguised as Mariko, kind of taking a page out of Viper's book here. And they are going to hopefully stop Viper and Silver Samurai from doing what they're trying to do, which is take control of Clan Yashida. And although Yukio is able to attack Silver Samurai, she's not able to defeat him. And in the meantime, uh, Viper tries to escape to assassinate Lady Mariko while she's in the car. Luckily, Storm is there and is able to prevent that from happening. So they're able to defeat Silver Samurai and Viper who uh, managed to escape, but Storm, who has been having some trouble with her powers ever since that elongated amount of time she had spent in space, uh, has having some trouble controlling her powers, and uh, they sort of backfire on her, and so Yukio manages to save Storm, and before anything else happens, you know, Silver Samurai kind of swears his revenge, and he escapes with viper and in the meantime storm is taken to a safe house of yukio's now the issue ends when mariko is meeting with wolverine and the other x-men who were poisoned in the hospital and she tells them you know what happened to storm and what's been going on with silver samurai and viper and so wolverine decides that he's going to put a stop to it and when he's leaving rogue says let me help. You know, I'm an X-Man too, and I owe it to you, and you owe it to me to give me a chance to prove myself as an X-Man. So Wolverine says, you know what? Fine. You want to team up? That's fine. But you stay out of my way, and you do as I say. 
that is the end of 172 and that takes us into issue number 173 which is the second part of this story. And we get to see some great action here. What they're able to do in 22 pages is pretty fantastic. We see it starts, oh, and it's also got a great cover, by the way, from Paul Smith. This is a cover of the uh, brown and orange or brown and tan suited Wolverine, which is, I, I don't know if it's my favorite Wolverine costume, but I really love it. I just, I like that costume. And I know a lot of people like the blue and yellow, you know, the classic blue and yellow. And, and I agree, I love that costume as well but something about the the brown and tan uh, it just suits Wolverine especially for this time you know where he's struggling to be a man at this point he's still very much the animal and something about those colors just seems a lot more animalistic anywho it's got him running it's the, the cover's all black it's got Wolverine running uh, towards the reader and we've got Rogue behind him both of them have you know some pretty serious looks on their faces Wolverine's got his claws popped it's a fantastic image so it starts off with Wolverine and Rogue shaking down members of, you know, various clans of the Yakuza in Japan, trying to find out where Silver Samurai and Viper are supposed to be. They're able to discover that, you know, they've been working with another uh, Yakuza boss named Nabatone. Uh, so they're trying to track him down as well, thinking that he's their best lead. In the meantime, you know, Storm and Yukio are becoming close friends, to say the least. And they're just having fun kind of living on the wild side. So Wolverine and Rogue are finally able to track down, uh, you know, Lord Nabatone. But when they get there, they find that he is dead. And... They don't have any leads. So they decide, well, it's time to check in with, you know, our fellow X-Men and everybody in the hospital. But they feel that they may be too late. One of the things that Wolverine realizes is that while it's taking them so long to track down Nabatoni, they've actually left the X-Men vulnerable. So they are attempting to race back to this hospital now, and we find out that Viper has already led some ninjas there, and they arrive just in the nick of time. We, we get some really cool action scenes here from Rogue just flying through the hall, taking out like four or five ninja at once, and, and you know the ninja all kind of fall to the ground, and Viper says, you know, after her, get her. In the meantime, Wolverine has managed to get up to the floor where Lady Mariko and his friends are and who should be there but the Silver Samurai. And we get three and a half pages of fighting, you know, where there's four panels per page of action. And it's great. It's very much reminiscent of the battles between Wolverine and Shingen in issue four of Wolverine volume one. And and Paul Smith manages to not only channel Frank Miller, but bring a different aspect to it. You know, this is a Wolverine who starts the fight with his claws popped. You know, he's fighting to the death from the very beginning. You know, this is not a contest of honor 
This is not a contest of, of you know, a, a prospective son trying to dethrone his father to take over his empire with his new bride. Uh, no, this is someone fighting desperately to save the lives of his loved one and his friends. And it's good. It's it's a it's a brutal fight. We've got Silver Samurai getting cut in the face and getting other parts of himself cut open. We've got him impaling Wolverine through the chest and neck with his sword. We've got Wolverine breaking bones. I mean, it's fantastic. And the only reason why it stops, the only reason why Wolverine is not able to deliver the killing blow is the Lady Mariko stops him. And she says, enough blood has been spilled, beloved. Let this be an end to it. My half-brother has lost. Grant him his life. And that's when, you know, Viper arrives. And she's, I wouldn't say she's sickened by his failure, but she wants to finish what he started, or at least finish what they started. And Silver Samurai passes out. Harada passes out from the battle, from exhaustion. He's wounded, his arm's broken, and he collapses. And Viper immediately raises her her gun to send out the killing blow and to destroy Lady Mariko. And Rogue flies in through the broken wall and she intercepts the blast. She pushes Wolverine and Mariko out of the way and she takes the full brunt of this of this blast from Viper and Viper leaves, you know, and it looks like Rogue is, is mortally wounded. And so Wolverine says, you know, you risked your life to save my beloved. The least I can do is give you my powers so that you can heal. And, and he does. He says, I'm a man who pays his debts, Rogue. You sacrificed yourself for Mariko. It's only fair I return the compliment. And that that's it. That is when Rogue gains Wolverine's trust and Wolverine's respect. And I think that's the moment she becomes an X-Man. You know, the other X-Men had accepted her because Professor Xavier told them to. They said, you know, he told them she was a member of the team, but she hadn't proven herself yet. And by winning Wolverine's respect here, I think she won the respect of the entire the entire team. So that was, you know, that's a cool moment. In the meantime, you know, Storm has been gone with, with Yukio gallivanting around for this whole issue, and, and, and we're about to see her again real soon. But now that the saga here with Silver Samurai and Viper is over, uh, Wolverine and, and Mariko can now continue with their engagement. And as Lady Mariko is out at her castle, the ancestral seat of Clan Yashida, she is approached by a mysterious stranger who it appears does something to her mind and then disappears without a trace. And that takes us to the final moments of the issue, the wedding itself. You know, the X-Men have arrived. The X-Men have all recovered from their poisoning. Xavier is there with Lalandra, Alex Summers, Polaris. They arrive as well. Their father, Christopher Summers, who is a Corsair, uh, Cyclops, and his new girlfriend, Madeline Pryor. 
they all arrive and they're just waiting for Storm. And that's this is when she shows up in her, you know, the choker that she wears and the leather vest, you know, the sleeveless leather vest that she wears and all that and the mohawk. So this is the, the first time we get to see uh, Mohawk Storm. And the X-Men are there. They're situated. Everyone's getting ready. And the wedding begins. And first we see the Lady Mariko coming down, I guess coming down the aisle. I'm not sure if that's quite the the proper way to phrase that. Uh, so she comes down and then Wolverine is following her. And when she turns to face him, it is not with the intention of getting married, but she calls off the wedding. She says, stop the ceremony. Most Imperial Majesty honored guests, there will be no wedding. And Wolverine just says, why? And Mariko says, because, Gaijin, you are not worthy. And then she walks out. She just she walks out of the room. And this is when that mystery man is revealed. And we only get to see his suit in color. But there's no mistaking those chops and that cigarette. It is mastermind. And the very last image that we see is a single tear streaming down Wolverine's cheek as what was supposed to be the happiest moment of his life has now become the saddest. And that is issue 173. Now I know in uh, many of the trades that you buy of Wolverine volume one, it actually comes with these two issues as well. You know, a lot of the collected editions have, you know, all six of these issues, uh, but I always like to read them separately. And yes, it's a continuation, and to to a degree, it's the sequel. Uh, to me, it's it's really just a continuation. But Wolverine one through four is meant as a contained story. You know, it has a happy ending. It looks like everything is, you know, all of Wolverine's dreams are going to come true, and it's a fun story. And it's, in my opinion, it's best when read as just one through four with these two subsequent issues being read afterwards. Uh, I don't think it takes away from the story of 1 through 4. I just think that 1 through 4 should be read by themselves, and then this should be read later separately. Uh, but it's a good story. Uh, the artwork is pretty good. Like I said, it's you know it's Paul Smith. He does action really well. He does expressions really, really well. He has a way of framing his panels that is new and refreshing when you're reading the Claremont run. Uh, and and I feel that Paul Smith is an unheralded hero of the X-Men just because of his contributions uh, during that time period. So overall, a great story, and I had a lot of fun reading it, and I hope you guys had fun getting to relive it. And if you haven't read it, I definitely recommend that you check it out because it's worth the price of admission. It is on Marvel Unlimited, and it can be found in a lot of the different trades that are out there that uh, collect the various arcs of the Claremont era. So with that being said, that takes us into our next few issues, which is Wolverine Volume 2. So that was the one that started in 1988. Uh, issues number 56 and 57. So these issues came out now that this time... Wolverine was being published bi-monthly, so it was coming out twice a month, and these issues came out on July 10th and July 20th, 1992. Uh, it's written by Larry Hama, art by Mark Silvestri, inks from Dan Green, 
colors from Steve Bucciolato, and lettering from Pat Brousseau. So the very same team that worked on uh, the comics that we covered two episodes ago. So episode 10, where we covered the Shiva scenario, or what I like to call Return to Weapon X. So this story is a little bit more convoluted. It is actually parts two and three of really a three-part story, but the first part doesn't really have to do too much with Japan itself. It's more of the story of how Gambit and Wolverine get to Japan, and it also gives us a background of a new villain who is introduced in uh, this issue 56 and uh, has a showdown with our heroes in number 56 and again in 57. But a lot of the, the pieces that we see uh, in these two issues aren't there in the f- in issue 55, so I chose not to cover it. What you need to know going in is that Jubilee has been arrested going through customs in Japan, and so she has called uh, to the X-Men to have them come bail her out. And of course, Wolverine and Gambit are the ones who decide to go and bail her out of jail. In the meantime, there is this cyborg named Scylla, who was made by Donald Pierce to be activated upon his death uh, to track down and hunt Wolverine. So we get her backstory, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So when they arrive in Japan, they find that they are too late. The Jubilee has been moved from the prison and they're going to have to track her down. But before they can leave the prison, Wolverine is actually approached by customs and they tell him that uh, a package has arrived for him that doesn't really meet the uh, customs standards. So they need him to open it to kind of explain what's going on. And what's in that package is that killer cyborg that I had mentioned, Scylla. So Wolverine opens the package and he immediately has to fight a cyborg. And in the meantime, while they're at this prison, it is attacked by the Hand, who have discovered that Wolverine is now back in Japan. So Gambit has to fight a bunch of Hand ninjas. Wolverine is fighting a cyborg. We find out that Jubilee is being transported by the police from the police station to meet kind of with an attorney of sorts, uh, which I guess is just standard procedure. I'm not familiar with the Japanese legal system or justice system, but according to the story, that's just what they do. So while she's on this police van, she is actually attacked by a mercenary named Reiko, who actually played a a somewhat large role in one of the earliest uh, Larry Hama stories back in uh, Wolverine number 33, give or take. Uh, Reiko is actually saved by Wolverine, and so she owes him a debt, but she doesn't know that Jubilee is Wolverine's friend until like halfway through this assassination attempt where she's trying to uh, kill Jubilee, and Jubilee somehow mentions that she's friends with Logan, and Reiko goes, oh, okay, great. Well, I can pay back my debt to him by sparing your life. So she does, and she leaves, but Jubilee's still kind of being pursued by the hand, and who else but Yukio comes to the rescue and is able to aid 
Jubilee and find a safe place for her. So Wolverine and Gambit, having received an assist of their own from Sunfire, former X-Man Sunfire, uh, they leave the police station and decide that if they're in Japan and they need help, who better to go to than the Lady Mariko, the woman who Wolverine was once engaged to be married to. So they arrive at the Yoshida house at a point where Mariko is talking to some of her business partners saying, you know, I made a promise to someone that I would uh, divest Clan Yoshida from its criminal holdings. However, you know, we're being pressured by the hand, so we have to figure something out. Uh, and I don't want to work with them, but I don't know what else to do. And that's when Silver Samurai shows up to say, hey, I have an idea. I should be the leader of Clan Yoshida and everything will be okay. And uh, before anything is really able to be done about it, that's when Wolverine and Gambit show up. Naturally, Wolverine hates Silver Samurai and is ready to throw down with him when security announces that the Hand has arrived. So before the battle with the Hand commences, we find out that Yukio and Jubilee have also arrived on the scene and that the hand are attacking and Yukio says, you know, we'll be better. We should probably help out, you know, because the person that lives here is, you know, Wolverine's beloved you know, fiance for the most part. And, you know, that takes Jubilee by surprise because apparently Jubilee can't picture Wolverine as, you know, the Marion type. And also we find out that Reiko was hired by the hand to kill Jubilee. And since she didn't kill Jubilee, she has decided that she's going to flee Japan for her life, but she is intercepted as she's trying to escape Japan by Hydra and Silver Fox. So this issue went from, you know, typical early 90s Wolverine and Gambit fighting ninjas and robot cyborg killers to super convoluted, and Larry Hama is clearly going to try to tie up a lot of loose ends here in issue 57. So that was issue 56. Issue 57 is a little different in pace. You know, obviously Wolverine, Silver Samurai, Gambit, they all try to fight the hand and they realize that there's a lot of them. So the three of them, along with Lady Mariko, decide, well, what better place to be to fend off an invasion by the hand than by with, uh, you know, withdrawing or retreating further into the house. Mariko mentions the fact that because the house belonged to Lord Yashida, it is full of booby traps and that sort of thing. So they do, and then that takes us to Silver Fox and her new captive, Reiko, who Silver Fox takes to the current leader of the hand, who is a man named uh, Matsuo Tsuriaba. And so the two of them decide that they have mutual interests. Namely, they want to see Clan Yashida destroyed. The Hand wants to take over their criminal observations, and Silver Fox doesn't necessarily explain what her motives are, but she wants to see the Lady Mariko dead as well. So while they've retreated into 
the ancestral home of Clan Yoshida. Mariko takes Wolverine into a, a little cathedral kind of area, a little shrine that is, you know, the innermost area of their home. And she gives Wolverine his old costume. So we get to see Wolverine, who's had like a ripped shirt for the last issue and a half. Uh, we get to see him put on his his Wolverine costume. And he's back. You know, he's Wolverine again. He's not wearing his blues and blues and yellows or anything or his civvies. He's he's back in his his the suit that he wore in, you know, uh Wolverine Volume One, which is pretty cool. I like that, you know, Mariko has has held on to it and it's been in a place of, you know, worship and um sanctity for her and for clan Yoshida. So it's it's cool to see that she's held on to that and she's able to give that back to him and let him be the Wolverine again. Jubilee and Yukio in the meantime are waiting outside. Silver Samurai is trying to rally his troops and by his troops I mean, you know, the the various samurai of of clan Yoshida and Gambit and they're all trying to figure out what else to do. Because in the meet right now they're safe, you know they're hiding from from the villains, uh, but they know it's only a matter of time before the hand is able to figure out how to get to them. That is when uh, Silver Fox and Suryaba send in Reiko with a proposition, and she says the hand is willing to buy out all the criminal enterprises from clan Yoshida and we don't have to be hostile towards one another. Again, we get all the criminal stuff, which is all that we want. You get the money and the chance to fulfill your promise of, you know, divesting the, those interests and, you know, win-win. All we need is, you know, a token of your respect and gratitude. And, you know, Lady Marco, we need you to cut off one of your fingers, which apparently is a, is a Yakuza thing. In the meantime, as Yukio and Jubilee are watching the hand doing what they're doing, Scylla shows up and uh, we actually get this cool, it's not necessarily a fastball special, but Gambit manages to charge the kinetic energy in the ground and manages to launch Wolverine up to the roof so that he can aid Yukio and Jubilee in fighting Scylla. And, you know, Gambit and Silver Samurai are just kind of there hanging out so we get some action and we get some some other parts and eventually wolverine and jubilee and yukio are able to defeat Scylla. and in the meantime while wolverine's up on the roof mariko decides she's going to take up the hand on their offer she will cut off her finger and she will accept the deal and she will sell the criminal operations of clan yashida off to the hand and everybody will be happy however spoiler alert here guys the blade is poisoned and as soon as Mariko begins to cut herself she screams out in agony you see Reiko is known for coating her blades in blowfish toxin which is 100% fatal there is no antidote Wolverine arrives almost just in time to see that Mariko is going to die Mariko asks Wolverine to take her back into that little shrine where they were alone before where she tells him that she still loves him and that she wants to marry him 
and that she'll always love him. And Wolverine pretty much says the same thing. And then Mariko asks Wolverine to end her suffering. And Wolverine does. And I, to see the tear on his face in this panel, on this page, the the agony on his face and the anguish and this, this total sadness that Mark Silvestri puts into his face, it's it's impactful. You know, Mariko's death was unexpected and it was unwanted and frankly, some people say unnecessary and I would probably agree with them. I, I don't see the point of Lady Mariko having to die here at this point in the story. I think it's unnecessary, uh, but it's still powerful. You know, Wolverine at this point in the, in the series had discovered parts of his past but he wasn't whole. He had not yet become the man that he wanted to be. He was still part animal. It was still out there, and it was still within him. And for him to have to go through a loss of this magnitude when so much for him has not yet been answered is tough. You know, Larry Hama really has hit a stride by now and is is mining a lot of Wolverine's past to tell very gripping stories for Wolverine and as as angry as many fans were when Lady Mariko was killed off it's a very powerful story and 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 it pretty much it, it comes to a very abrupt end you know Wolverine does it off panel you know we don't have to see Wolverine impaling Lady Mariko here but that doesn't remove the gravity The very last page is Wolverine standing in front of Silver Samurai and Gambit and the rest of Clan Yoshida, and he's cradling the lifeless body of, you know, his lover, the greatest love of his life, and there's sadness on his face, and it's, it's a tough, it's a tough panel, you know, it's a, it's an emotional part for Wolverine. Would I recommend that you all read the story? Yes, just because of the importance of it to the Wolverine mythos. But yeah, you could definitely skip issue 55. And you can even skip through a lot of the stuff in 56 and 57. Just focus on the Wolverine Mariko parts and the Jubilee Yukio parts and you'd be fine. You can just ignore all the Scylla stuff because it was superfluous really to the story. And even the stuff with the hand and Hydra, as important as it is, you don't really need to to read that and see all that to really know, you know, the hand wants the criminal part. Yeah, the hand wants the criminal part of, of Clan Yoshida. I mean, that's about all the background you need. So, so that's it. That is Wolverine Volume 2, numbers 56 and 57. Now, I have one more part of the show that I want to get on, and that is a little segment that I've started referring to on my own as Wolverine, the Short Long Night. Now, many of you may know that Marvel and Stitcher have recently teamed together to create their very first scripted podcast, and it is called Wolverine, the Long Night. It is a 10-episode series that is available currently only on Stitcher Premium, though from what I understand it will be made available on the uh, you know free apps later this year, which is why I have been doing spoiler-free reviews. I know that some of you out there are waiting until more episodes are out to sign up for you know a month of 
Stitcher. I know a lot of places out there are, or I, get, I know that Stitcher also offers, you know, free trial periods of about a month or so of of Stitcher Premium as well. So I know that a lot of you have also been waiting for more of the episodes to have come out so that you can still manage to hear all 10 of them uh, at once or, or, you know, whatever it happens to be and, and still do it while it's free or while you're only paying for one month instead of two or three. I love Wolverine, so naturally I signed up for it, no questions asked, so that I can hear the show. And so far it hasn't disappointed. As of the time that you're listening to this, or at least as of the release of this episode, which is Wednesday, April 4th, the fifth episode just came out two days ago, and it was good. So we are halfway through the story now. I think that we have met all of the players that we need to at this point, um, all the all the mysterious characters that are named in the first issue have they've been met. We have met the characters, and we have followed the story of Agents Pierce and Marshall in their investigation. And this fifth episode is kind of a turning point. Uh, at this point, the story is still very vague. There's still a lot of mystery. There are so many unanswered questions that are up in the air. Uh, but you can kind of see the factions or the players that are taking part in this mystery. They've all kind of come to place. And the last few pieces have fallen into place and been added to the board here. And we're starting to get some action. We're starting to see not necessarily receiving answers to our questions, but we're starting to see what those questions are that need to be asked and addressed. And it's great. You know, the voice work, I've, I've mentioned this every episode so far, the voice work is, is still top notch. This episode saw a lot of action. And so the more technical sides of this podcast were really put on display. And it is a top notch production. There is uh, some conflict that's going on in this in this episode, and like I said, there's some action. There are some high intensity scenes, and the actors all do a superb job of of really bringing that across. and And the sound the sound people that are working on this, as well as the the music, they're really helping create a great picture. So, spoiler free review of episode five is more of the same. This is a fantastic production thus far. Episode 5 does not disappoint. If anything, it raises the bar, and I'm very excited for those of you who have not yet had a chance to listen to this to finally get to it uh, at some point, because it is it is really good. So I don't really do ratings, but uh, easily this episode so far has been the best of the series. And with that, we come to a close. Another episode of of talking snicked in the books if you like the show and you want to keep the conversation going follow me on twitter at talking snicked so just the name of the show t-a-l-k-i-n-s-n-i-k-t talking snicked i am on tumblr but i don't think i've been active on there in a very long time uh, so the best way to reach out to me is via Twitter. Now, if you're social media shy, no big deal. You can send me an email, talksnicked at gmail.com, T-A-L-K-S-N-I-K-T at gmail.com. 
obviously the easy way, easiest way to support this show is to subscribe on whatever app you use to listen to your podcasts. I am on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. So if you're hearing this on one of those, but you actually prefer to listen to podcasts on a different service, you can find me on any of those three. And of course, many of the third-party apps that pull their feeds from either uh, any of those, you can listen to it there as well. I also have a website. You can listen to it in iTunes and Apple Podcasts app and and all sorts of places. So like I said, easiest thing you can do is subscribe. Uh, You can also, and I ask that you do so if you enjoy the show, to rate it and leave a review if you can. Uh, Shouldn't take up much of your time. A lot of the apps, you, if you're just doing a rating, it's instantaneous. And if you're doing a review, you know, it's quick and easy. Just put on what you like about the show. And, you know, even if you don't like it, let me know what you don't like about the show. Maybe it's something that I can change and make the show more enjoyable for you as well. Now, for those of you who want to do more for the podcast, I have a Patreon. I will have the link to it in my show notes. I have, uh, well, a Patreon, for those of you who don't know, is a website where creators like myself can receive monetary compensation to help keep their show going. And it's not just blind donations. There are things you can get in exchange for your support. You can join the Talkin' Snicked community for as little as $1 per month, but I also have reward tiers at the 2 5 and $10 reward levels. Each of those come with their own unique rewards, some of which are tangible rewards, things that you can hold in your hand, things that you can get in the mail from me as a thank you for joining the community. Also, we have some lofty goals, plans I have to expand the show in the future, uh, which I won't be able to do unless this show is being supported monetarily. So if you are fortunate enough to be in a position to do that, go check me out. If you don't, no big deal. I totally understand. I listen to a lot of podcasts myself, and I'm not in the position to be a supporter of all of them. If you like the music in this show, those few little riffs, stay tuned. In a few moments, I will be playing for you an exclusive song from my pal Retcon X. He is a very talented musician who has created two EPs, two original albums, if you will, of X-Men-inspired music. You can find it on, well, I listen to it on Apple Music, but you can find it elsewhere. I have linked to his website and his Spotify playlist in the show notes as well, so check that out. If you like his music, I've also included a link to his Patreon. Uh, This song is called Back from the Dead. It is inspired by You Know Who, Give it a listen. Until next time, bubs. <laughs>